This is the SBI Show. Hello, everybody. I'm Ivis Galarsep, and the World Cup qualifying window is closed. And it's closed with the U.S. men's national team recording six points to move a little bit closer to Qatar. This is episode 351, and we'll be talking U.S. Honduras. We'll look at the entire octagonal field, and we'll look ahead a little bit to March, when everything will be decided. Well, almost everything. Whoever finishes in fourth place in CONCACAF will have some unfinished business and have to go to a playoff. If you're a U.S. fan, you're praying that that's not the U.S. team. But as far as the Americans go, they're a little bit, they have a little bit better chance now of finishing top three after securing two wins in this window. But we'll get into all that. We'll get into Americans abroad news, some good news on the horizon. A little bit of bad news, some injuries, but big news. Gio Reyna is back. Borussia Dortmund. Announcing that he's ready to go. We'll get on we'll get into that a little bit later. We'll close the show with some MLS news. Josie Altidore is on the move. Reportedly. He's definitely on the move. It's not even a question. First things first. US men's national team Hondur- against Honduras. And if you were in Minnesota, you know how crazy cold it was. It was it was colder than Antarctica, apparently. The U.S. followed up their loss to Canada, and they rebounded in emphatic fashion with a 3-0 win over Honduras. And, and it's interesting to me how much the weather has dominated the the post game conversation. And, and I'll get into that a little bit later. But I'm gonna I'm gonna focus on the game for now. Start start with the game and start with some impressive performances. To get this three points. Because at the end of the day, what matters, three points. They got the three points, and they did it in impressive fashion. And you can say what you want. Honduras, obviously the last place team in the octagonal. Not in great shape. Not a good team. Not ready for the the cold weather in in Minnesota. And look, not many people would be ready for the weather in Minnesota. But Honduras clearly struggled. But the U.S. braved the elements, and they played well. They managed to get through it and not just get through it, not just survive the cold. They played well. They made plays. I know, you know, you could say, hey, look, all three goals were on set pieces. So it wasn't exactly, you know, the beautiful like interplay and combination plays leading to goal, 18 pass sequences leading to goals. No. But this U.S. team showed some some things. They showed some quality. They show, And look, they showed some grit. I know we heard a lot in the lead up to this game about, you know, are they tough or not? And, I, you know, I touched on that a bit. It's a young team. Still figuring some things out. There's a little bit of an edge that, that, that this team could, could add. But to go out in those conditions, zero degrees on the field, maybe, maybe colder. Minus 10, I think, minus 15. You heard all different numbers, but I was told it was zero degrees on the field. And this U.S. team went out there and played a game. They played a good game. 
And we'll start, uh, for me, man of the match, uh, Weston McKinney. He really set the tone. It's not just that he scored the first goal, but he just dominated in the middle. And for the life of me, I don't know why Bolillo Gomez would play two central midfielders against the U.S. and their three midfielders set up. Because it pretty much, it set the U.S. up to dominate. In the middle especially. And under normal conditions, you could say, okay, look, Honduras will try to open things up. Go at you on the wings. Try to use their speed. They had Albert Elise and Romel Kyoto. They were hoping, you know, would they put some pressure on the U.S. defense? Didn't work out. Honduras's game plan could not have been worse. And Weston McKinney made him pay on, on the set piece, but he also just made them pay by dominating the middle of the field. He's, he is the best midfielder in CONCACAF, period. It's not even close. There's no, no one close. Best midfielder. The form he's in right now, uh, it's the form of his career. And honestly, it's at the point now where you could argue like having him is, and I say this sometimes about Tyler Adams, right? The Tyler Adams, having Tyler Adams there, it's like having two players almost. You know, and if you don't want to say two whole players for Weston McKinney, look, it's like having one and a half players. Let's say that with his work rate, his engine, his power. But he 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 delivered. He delivered in the cold. Texas boy delivered in the cold. And another player who delivered, Walker Zimmerman. He wore the captain's armband. He scored the header. Took care of everything he had to take care of defensively. Just complete performance. Just continuing to solidify his hold on a starting role in this defense, in this U.S. defense. And and then the player who, you know, some, some people might have said, hey, this guy could have been mad at the match. Kellen Acosta. Kellen Acosta with three set pieces that helped set up goals. Now, maybe he didn't officially get three assists, but he he provided the kind of service we just have not seen on U.S. set pieces in the octagonal, and he helped set up three goals. Clear assist on the McKinney goal, helped set up uh, Walker Zimmerman's goal, put a, a, a dangerous corner kick in play for Christian Pulisic's insurance goal. All three. And played a good all-around game. In place of Tyler Adams. And obviously, look, Tyler Adams is going to be your guy when he's there and he's available and he's and he's starting. And he's healthy. He's going to start. It's not even a question. But if for some reason you don't have Tyler Adams, this is the Kellen Acosta that we've seen at times. Not all the time. I think it was, what, the Pan- the game in Panama? Not his finest hour. Not his best game by any means. But against Honduras, he got the job done. And I, got, and I have to wonder how much Acosta playing in Colorado and having to play in the cold there. Because he's played in the cold in Colorado. He's played in the snow in Colorado. And I have a feeling that helped him. And I think it helped you know all these players, the fact that this was the third game in a row in the cold. And that was the plan. The dominoes were set in motion when John Herdman decided to put the U.S.-Canada game in Hamilton. Once that happened, the U.S put this plan out. We're going to play three cold weather games in a row. We're going to train. We're going to get our team ready to be in the cold. And then we're going to wrap things up on the last day of the window against the Honduras team that will have played two straight games in the heat. And it's going to be considerable advantage. Now was U.S. soccer a little naive and not considering the extreme possibility. I mean, the, the possibility of an extreme cold, you can say that you can say that, you know what? It's fine that they looked at the average temperature and it should have been more like 10 to 15, not necessarily zero. And I know most people say, well, how could you not know it would be negative? How would you not know it was it was going to be zero on February 2nd in Minneapolis, in St. Paul, Minnesota? How did you not know? I hear that. But this team played. They played well. 
It's not like they all, you know, couldn't move. They played, they got through it. Not just got through it, they played well. Uh, and another player who stood out and earned some plaudits, Luca Delator, the fan favorite. Or not, not not all fans, but there's definitely a section of the fan base that had been clamoring for Luca Delator. Now he steps in, he starts for Yunus Musa. Yunus had Yunus Musa had played it started two straight matches. Luca Delator steps in, puts in a real solid performance. And, you know, Greg Berhalter mentioned that Delator was uh, the man of the match for the by, named by the, the coaches. The coaches named him man of the match. Now, that's a little generous for me. Because I think he's fourth on my list of man of the match. I don't I don't know how many people would have had him first, but for me, Weston McKinney was dominant. Walker Zimmerman was outstanding. Kellen Acosta with the three set piece helpers. All three of all three of those players for me more deserving man of the match. But not to take anything away, Luca Delator had an opportunity to step in the lineup and he made the most of it. Played well. Did the job. Played the connecting role, getting the ball from the defense to attack. He was just solid. Solid performance. And I'm sure the coaches were happy that he took hold of that opportunity and put in a solid performance. And that's what he did. Now you do have to use some, you have to have some context. There needs to be some context in this because you can already hear from the, the, the folks who, who have been clamoring for Luka Delator. Aha, see, look, we told you this guy's amazing. And look, he's, he's a good player. Not going to argue that he's a good player, but let's get some context on this game. I mean, if there were, if there was ever a game for someone like Luca Delator to step in and have a very good game, it was this game against Honduras, a bad team in a bad setup, in a setup conducive for midfield domination by the Americans. And again, as I said, I don't know how Belio Gomez thought he was going to set up with that midfield and have any chance against the Americans. But again, credit to Delator. He look, he, he can only play against who he plays against, and he did the job there. Does that mean he's doing that job against the Canada or against the Mexico or even against the Costa Rica? Hmm. It's a different, it's a different ball game. That's a different animal teams. Are, those teams are going to definitely have more numbers in the middle, more for him to have to deal with. But this test he passed and I give him credit for that, but let's make sure we keep it in the right context. Some people it's inevitable they're not going to. Some people are just going to use this, ride it, and say, look, see, aha, look, he should be starting. And look, look I, I don't know if anyone's saying he should be starting. I'm sure some people are saying, look, this is proof he should be on this roster ahead of some of the other regulars. Sebastian Legette, as an example. Christian Roldan is an example, obviously. Two players who, there's obviously a section of the fan base, don't feel like should be on the roster. And especially right now with MLS not in season, you know those guys are not going to be at, they're not anywhere near their best right now. So it's not really, so it makes total sense why Delator got the nod in this one, and he made the most of it. Does he need to get better to really close the gap and compete, uh, contend for a starting role? Absolutely. It's a big gap there, number one. There's a big gap between him, Weston McKinney, and Eunice Musa. There just is. Yunus Musa is better by a good bit. And I'd argue Gian- Gianluca Busio is better. And if, you, if Gianluca Busio doesn't get COVID before the window, uh, Luca Delator might not be on this roster. But he made the most of that opportunity and props to him. And I have a feeling we'll see him again on this squad in March. And he should get that opportunity. Absolutely. Especially if he continues to play at a good level in the Dutch league. And he has been. He has been playing at a good level. But as Greg Berhalter pointed out, although it was me pointing it out and him agreeing, you need to start getting some goals and assists. I mean, if you're an attacking midfielder, it's kind of the job. It's all well and good that you can play connector and you can carry the ball upfield. But let's get some direct goal-creating moments, whether you score them 
or whether you set them up. And that's the next step that he needs he needs to take. And he, if he takes that, then yes, he's he's gets that much closer. But let's just keep things in perspective when it comes to Luka Deltor. That's uh that's just that's one point I did want to make cuz I thought it was an interesting just development seeing the post-game narrative as soon as uh as soon as US Soccer made him coach's man of the match. He kind of knew that kind of knew what would happen as soon as that that happened, but props to him. He played well. And he handled that weather. I mean, look at the look. Maybe he's you know there's some Eskimo blood because he he uh he looked he looked like he had fun out there in the cold. Not everybody could say the same. I know Matt Turner did not have much fun in the cold. We'll get into the cold in a little bit. But last the last player I wanted to touch on, Christian Pulisic did not start. And those of you who listened to the show and listened to the last episode, the preview episode for this game, obviously I asked that question: Is it time to sit him? Is it time to bench him and go with some other options, bring him off the bench, let him make an impact off the bench after two lackluster performances? And that's what we got. Christian Pulisic comes off the bench, scores two minutes after he comes off the bench. A, a goal that the team needed just to put it a, to put the game away. And I would argue a goal that he absolutely needed to give him some confidence heading out of this window. Now, what I thought was a little interesting was was the criticism for putting him into the game. I mean that that I'm sorry I, I don't I don't write I don't roll with that one I can't ride with that one. It's two zero. Sixty fifth minute. Two a two zero lead with a third of the game to go is not a done deal. It's not locked up. I know you can say, look, Honduras didn't look dangerous. Why take that chance? Number one. Number two, as I said, I think I said it on Twitter. Um, why wouldn't you? Why would you not put him in this situation to give him an opportunity to end this window on a high note? Why would you not do that? Especially when there's no guarantee he's going to play uh, a ton of minutes when he gets to Chelsea. Do you really want him to follow up two lackluster, <laughs> disheartening performances? Follow that up with a DNP, a did not play. Really? Zero minutes? And have him go back to Chelsea? Dwelling on the first two performances? And I know some people, I know the, the initial thing is, oh, what, he could have gotten injured. I mean, you can get, you know, you can get injured anytime. It's like, are you putting, are we putting him in uh, bubble wrap now? Like, no, like, I'm sorry. No, it was an opportunity to help for him to help seal this game. Number one, and to give him some confidence heading back to Chelsea. And that's what it did for him. And that's what I'm that's what it that's what happened. So I just thought that was that, that made zero sense to me, but you know what? I think I don't know. Some people really uh go out on some limbs when it comes to wanting to be uh I don't know what the word is, but uh yeah, it's just for me it made total sense at the time. As soon as it happened, I mean I was like, there you go. It is a chance to have him, you know, gain some regain some confidence. And I thought it was interesting. He he almost didn't want to celebrate the goal, right? It was, like you would have thought he scored against his former club almost the way he he he, he kind of non-celebrated. But we know. Uh, and by the way, uh, a certain tweet from uh, an, a U.S. men's national team alumni, uh, I thought put it in a real good perspective. And, and the tweet said, it only takes one goal to get back on that wave. And that tweet came from my man, Clint Dempsey. And I think Clint understands that how what a goal can do. When you're in a funk, when you're in a slump, when your confidence might be down. So I, I just totally didn't get the, the the criticisms of at the end. There were there were definitely some criticisms there. 
about why would you put him in this game? Why risk it? Risk what? His situation is not great. He's not starting every game at Chelsea. And how is is he gonna is he closer to starting heading coming out of the international break with two confidence uh, deflating performances? No. So I thought it was good. I thought it was good that he got in, scored the goal, ends on a high note. And let's see what happens. Let's see if he can build on that, go back to Chelsea, and start earning some more minutes. And uh, obviously, the big takeaway, the big uh, obviously the big storyline or the big topic after the game, during the game, the weather. And yes, it was cold. It was freezing. It was absurdly cold. In full disclosure, I was in the warm press box. I was not uh, one of the folks that was braving the elements in the, I think, uh, somewhat outdoor. There was a, 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 an outdoor press area as well. And props to them for, for, for braving that. But we still felt it. We still had to get to the stadium. You know, I went to, to lunch uh, with my man uh, Doug McIntyre from Fox Sports, we had lunch. We had to walk a block and a half or two blocks downtown Minneapolis, and yeah, it was ridiculous. It was cold, right? It was no question. But I thought I thought it was interesting just the uh, the post game complaints. And for those who missed it, or and I'm sure most people listening to this show will not have missed it. A couple of players from Honduras had to leave the game at halftime because it was just too cold, and they were dealing with uh, some you know. Adverse reactions to the cold. And the word hypothermia definitely made the rounds after this, but I didn't see that word in the Honduran uh, notification about this. It was uh, Buba Lopez, uh, Luis Lopez, the goalkeeper, Romel Kyoto, the winger, who plays in Montreal, by the way, which isn't exactly hot. But it was interesting. Two players, two Honduran players had to come out of the game. And it, and, and it turned into from dealing with the cold to hypothermia. That became the word, hypothermia. Dealing with hypothermia. And, uh, and the, the soapboxes were out. There was a sale on soapboxes after that because of that. And what I thought was interesting was, I mean, number one, U.S. players dealt with it. All the U.S. players dealt with it. Matt Turner definitely struggled the most, no question. Those out, the, Look, it was an extreme situation, right? But you could mitigate it. You could deal with it. You could wear the cold weather gear. That was available, and for those who missed it, the U.S. Soccer did provide cold weather attire for to Honduras. They they provided cold weather attire for to the referee, whether it was the under under layers, the the thermal layers, special layers of of, of you know undergarments of a you know long sleeve shirts, and also headgear that they could wear that was that was legal to wear. And most of the Honduran players took took. The U.S. up on it. Oh yeah, we'll wear this. <laughs> then there's no shame in that. We, you know, this is we're playing in a ridiculous environment. You're giving us something to deal with it. We will take it. Not every player did that, and near as I could tell, the players in question who who ended up having these these reactions didn't necessarily take full advantage of that. So you can say, oh well, the U.S. shouldn't be playing in this weather. But you know what? If you aren't going to take full advantage of everything at your disposal to deal with that, then whose fault? It's not just one one person's fault. It's just it's not just U.S. Soccer's fault. I mean, it's a little on your on you as well. If you're a player and you're like, yeah, you know what? I'll I'll wear short sleeves or I'll wear I won't wear f- the full thermal getup. I won't wear the thing you know the thing on my neck and on my head. No, I'm not going to do it. It's not my thing. And then you and then you get really really cold. Whose fault is that? But I, what 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 I found was a, that was a little interest more interesting to me is is this idea that this that. Teams that never play in extreme situations and never specifically pick extreme uh, weather 
or difficult weather or difficult uh, physical conditions to de- to to create an advantage on their opponents. And mind you, Honduras has done that. Literally, Honduras has done that. And I thought it was funny. Uh, someone I know had, had kind of was was just talking about Honduras and how they dealt with this cold, and is like never they'll never forget it. And 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 that person made the point that you know it won't shut. Yeah, don't be surprised if Honduras next time the U.S. comes to Honduras that they play in ninety degree weather in at like twelve noon, and it's like um actually, Honduras did that already. Twenty thirteen, Honduras. Versus the U.S. in San Pedro Sula, it was a 90 degree plus heat index, middle of the day, in the blaring sun, and it was not easy for the U.S. A U.S. team that had, you know, I think half of the lineup, the half of the starting lineup were players playing in the Bundesliga in the middle of winter. This was a February qualifier, 2013. So these players come from the winter in Germany direct, directly to hot Honduras, middle of the day, 90 degree heat index, Honduras, and and Honduras won. And I did not see any of these soapboxes out here. I did not see a soapbox complaining about the heat, complaining about the Americans having to deal with these conditions. I don't remember any of those, those type of remarks. And we've seen situations, U.S. players have dealt with adverse uh, situations, Climates before we've had players have to get IVs at halftime. Mexico, I still remember 2005 World Cup qualifier in the in the Stadio Azteca Easter Sunday, 12 noon kickoff, heat, smog. So what? It's what they wanted. They wanted to put the Americans under pressure and have them deal with that, have them deal with the altitude and the heat, all of that. I remember I was there. I was dressed up for no reason in Azteca with my church shoes on, collared shirt, long sleeves, struggling because I definitely overdressed. But the Americans struggled on that day. They struggled to deal with that. They struggled to deal with the altitude. They struggled to deal with the heat. The air quality wasn't great. Not a single soapbox came out for any of that. Nobody. I don't remember a single article written. A single tweet from anyone of any prominence in terms of the media? No. If anything, it was, oh, yeah, these gringos, they can't deal with the heat. They can't deal with uh, these conditions. What's what's going on? Like, oh, poor, too bad. Same thing in Honduras. It's like they got to toughen up. This is what you got to deal with in CONCACAF. You got to deal with the heat. But now the tide, the the roles are reversed, and and you're talking cold weather. And yes, I get it. It was it was an extreme day. I'm sure it was colder than expected, or colder than hoped. I'm sure the U.S. would have taken ten degrees, fifteen degrees, but it ended up zero, a little bit below zero, on the field. But I I'm I'm sorry. I just I've and I saw it all. I've seen it. Uh, I saw it at right after the game. And it is funny, like, obviously the Honduran media or some, some of the Honduran media is obviously going to come out get on, and, and, and state their case. And what about these people have families? And it's like, um, th- these players are fine. They were fine r- pretty soon after. No one was sent anywhere in a ambulance. 
No, you know what? No one lost the finger. They, they, like they, they were fine. All and here's a question: How many fans were cheated? How many fans uh, were you know carted away or put in ambulances? I mean, the stadium. Had, there was a good. There were a good number of fans there. There were media. There were people out. You know, a lot of people outside. Photographers. All these people dealt with it. But you had two players who had to look and look, you, you know, you, you have to take things seriously. You know, look, they obviously had to deal with with some issues, but let, like, but I mean, I don't know, man. I just it's just it seemed like a lot to me. The oh, what the the whole these people have families and this is a crime like no, stop. No, no, you're not getting that. That's that's uh, no. Sorry, folks. Not buying that one at all. Honduras had an opportunity to to train in the cold. They didn't train in the cold the day before. All of their players were given the option to wear full thermal gear, full from head to toe, just like the Americans were, were, were provided. Just like the referee was. The referee wore everything. The referee had the gloves, the long sleeves, the tights, the headgear, full headgear. He had it all. He had no, he had no problem. And look, he was from Jamaica, right? You know he's not dealing with zero-degree weather often in his life. So he's like, you know what? I'm going to wear every single thing I can wear that they provide for me. So a couple of players choose not to do that, have an adverse reaction, and then that gets to kick off a, 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 a this storm of criticism. It's like, this is inhumane. This is, this is deplorable. This is despicable. This is a, a criminal. Like, no, sorry. This is, that's just all ridiculous. You don't have to agree with me, but I just, it's just funny to me that there was none of that in 2013 when Honduras hosted the U.S. in the heat. Extreme heat. No one, no one, no one, uh, you know, asked, oh, what about the fans in the heat of Honduras? The fans who had to sit in the stadium for six hours before the game or however many hours before the game in the heat. What about the fans? No one asked that question. So I, it, it, I don't know. It's, it's all, it all seems a little phony to me, but it is what it is. Now here's the good news. We're not going to, we're not going to see this anytime soon again. The U.S. isn't, the U.S. is not going to have to qualify until what 2028 2029 for the 2030 world cup u.s hosts the next world cup they're not going to have qualifiers to play that's number one number two this was a unique situation because of covid qualify the qualifying schedule got completely shifted around thrown around and this is how we ended up with january early february qualifiers that's not the norm by any means early early february late january qualifiers are not the norm so you know the odds of there even being games in this time of the year again, qualifiers in this time of the year again, not not anytime soon, not for a long time. And should the U.S. play in Minnesota again in February? No, no, I wouldn't suggest that either. But this was not the <laughs> this was not the dramatic crime that some people want to paint it. And for me, I think it's just telling that the U.S. responded well to it. The, the U.S. had no problem. The U.S. played. They played well. All their players made it. No one, no one was uh, asking to be taken out because it was too cold. None of the U.S. players. Now, I think Matt Turner, look, Matt Turner, obviously, because he didn't have much to do. Now, if you're a goalkeeper, as it is, if you're a goalkeeper, even if you're a goalkeeper facing action, you're still moving around less than field players, obviously. Now, if you're Matt Turner and you're facing a team that's providing no threat, you you don't have a lot to do, so... 
I thought it was fun, you know, and I made the I, I made the observation on Twitter that in the first half that look at some point Matt Turner's gonna have to just start running around just to keep warm, and he eventually he did that. Eventually, he just starts running from sideline to sideline to keep warm. So yeah, can you is was it tough to deal with? Absolutely. Is it something these players ever want to do again? No, I'm pretty sure. But they went through it, they got through it together, and they won. And this is the kind of experience, a galvanizing experience that can help this team. And it is interesting that, I think I said it before, there was all this talk about, and, you know, I think myself included, alluding to it, you know, about this team, is this team tough enough? You know, and I tell you what, it, it takes toughness to deal with the with these to deal with that weather. It took toughness to brave those elements. And he did it. Now was it, you know, was everything perfect on the night for the US? Not everything was perfect, no. Greg Berhalter taking a picture with the fans during the game, was that great? No. Should he have done it? No. Could you kind of understand his explanation for it. Now, for those who missed it, his explanation basically was he was being asked for a while by these fans right by the bench to get a photo. And obviously he's like after the game, after the game, then there was a long stoppage in play. And he kind of saw this and said, you know what? Let me just do this. He did it. You know, these fans, you give them credit because these fans are out here in this cold weather, braving the elements to support the team. So like, I get the idea. I get the logic but it was still bad form. And in the post game, he didn't really apologize for it. If anything, he explained it. I have to think uh, when he has some time to think about it, that hopefully he'll realize, look, yeah, you know what? I shouldn't have done that. That's bad form. He shouldn't have done that. Was it a crime? No. Was it the, was it sporting? No, it wasn't sporting. It wasn't sporting. So he shouldn't have done it. And you know what? Hopefully he apologizes for it. Uh, you know, we'll see. Maybe he'll double down like he doubled down with the whole domination of Canada comments that he made, which again, not the, not, not the greatest thing. He shouldn't have said that. He shouldn't have framed it that way. And then he doubled down with it. And that's his choice. And he's rightly, he was rightly criticized for that. And he's going to be, and he has been rightly criticized for the photo multiple times by certain people who aren't going to miss an opportunity or five to, to point these things out. But that's what you get when you, when you take a misstep and Berhalter, he took a misstep with the photo with the fans. Wait till after the match, just out of respect for your opponent. I mean, I, you know, look, John Herdman wasn't out here taking pictures after Sam Atacubi's goal, right? Two zero stoppage time so it wasn't a great look so hopefully he learns from that and that's the thing he's a young young's relative term but he he's still learning as a coach and that's that's the that, that's the thing sometimes people forget or sometimes people you know obviously there's a lot of people who don't think he's a good coach and a lot of people who think you know what this he's the team is winning despite everything he's doing i get that there's that section of fans that definitely feel that way and that are going to jump on anything he does wrong. And he is doing some things wrong. No doubt about it. But you, if you're a great board holder, you don't give, you don't give them more fodder with, with missteps like this. And this was clearly a misstep. Is it a misstep to continue to wear dope sneakers on the sideline? No, keep wearing your heat. I'm a sneakerhead, So obviously I don't mind the sneakers. I, I have my sneakers on every game too. It is what it is. We like our sneakers. That's fine. 
Do we need tweets about it from the U.S. soccer account? Maybe not. Maybe not every not every game. Maybe not. Some folks will disagree. Let me tweet that. Let me tweet. You know, let the sneakerheads tweet it. Let the fans who are you know <laughs> who are at the games let they can tweet it. Let Complex tweet it. Let let, let uh you know nice kicks tweet it. Kicks to the pitch tweet it. U.S. soccer meh. maybe not. It's not everyone's bag. The the kicks, the sneakers is not everyone's thing. And if anything, these 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 are just perfect targets for that the anti Berhalter crowd. For the, the crowd that wants him out, that don't fit, you know, he's not a good coach, he's not doing the job, this team is is doomed to fail under Greg Berhalter. You're just giving them more ammo when you put these 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 sneaker these sneaker tweets out. Now, should you allow the <laughs> that section of the fan base to dictate what ends up getting tweeted? Eh, not necessarily, but I don't know. We don't need it every game. Not from the U.S. soccer account. Not, you know, not from the men's national team account. Probably not great. Pick your, pick your spots with those, I would say. But it is what it is. Everyone has their own, their own approach, their own strategies. Clearly, U.S. soccer is, you know, leaning into the sneaker angle. And look, Greg wears some heat. He wears some, wears some good sneakers. He's not the he doesn't have the best collection of sneakers among coaches. It's still uh, Sinisa Mihailovic, the Bologna manager, Serie A. He's the undis- for me the undisputed uh, king of uh, sideline kicks by soccer managers. But Berhalter's in probably top three. My man Jim Curtin's in there too. He's in the conversation. And I know some people are like, oh, who cares? Like, uh, you know, it's worry more about the lineup. Worry more about the roster. Worry more about winning games. Bah humbug these sneaker things. I don't care about sneakers. Look, it's fine. You don't have to care about sneakers. Some people care about sneakers. I care about sneakers. Greg Berhalter cares about sneakers. Some There's fans that care about sneakers. But maybe they don't need to hear about them every game. So, pick your spots, I'd say. Moving on, in CONCACAF, in, the, in other CONCACAF news, Canada continues to win. And they continue to close the show with late goals. And they are that much closer. Look, they're going to qualify. They haven't qualified yet. They actually locked up fourth place, which means at the very least, if by some miracle the scenario happens where they finish fourth, they'll at least go to the playoff. But look, Canada's going to go. They only have to win one more game. Uh, and the other teams in the conversation, uh, there's only, there only has to be one stumble among the other teams chasing them, other top teams chasing them, between Mexico, U.S., and Panama. So Canada's going. And it, it, it's it's such a tease that like even with this win, they still haven't clinched yet, but they get the they get the clinch next match in March. And that's gonna be a party. Well deserved party. Credit to John Herdman, credit to the team that and, and the way they've come together. It's it's a great story. It's good to see. And it's better for CONCACAF as a whole. And believe it or not, it's better for the US men's national team to have another team playing at a good level to raise the overall level. It can't just be U.S. versus Mexico. It's better for everybody that there's another team that's putting it all together, and Canada is putting it all together. It's great to see. Credit to them. And now then you have Mexico, who beat Panama. Was it the most impressive performance? No. Did they deserve the three points? Depends who you ask on the penalty. Some people were like, oh, that's absolutely a penalty, 100%. Other people who, you know, 
actually watched the replays would argue eh, Diego Linus might have fouled before he was fouled. But the referee made his decision. Mexico converts the penalty. They escape with a 1-0 win at home. This is what it's come to for Mexico. They're needing penalties to escape home games with wins when they are not drawing scoreless at home. And just for those who keep score at home, two straight home games, zero goals from the run of play. Tata Martino has them playing the beautiful game where there's no goals in the run of play. But they won. They got the points. They are tied with the U.S. U.S. is in second on goal difference, but Mexico is now is tied with the Americans heading into the battle in March at the Azteca, we think. If they don't move it, because there's been rumblings that maybe they'll move it. If you're not going to be able to fill Azteca, why even play it there? Why not go to, whether it's Guadalajara, go to uh, Monterrey, wherever it is. Wherever this game is, it's going to be it's going to be uh, a barn burner. It's going to be a, a good one. Because these teams, at the end of the day, say what you want. The teams are struggling. The teams haven't been, you know, they haven't been at their best. But when they play each other, you it, it's a battle. And you hope they bring the best out of each other. And that's what we're going to see in March. It's, for me, it's going to be a great one. And the U.S., job not, job's not even close to done, to be clear. Because Panama is still in the conversation. And now coming up from the bottom half, Costa Rica. Costa Rica's on a roll now. They've won three out of four, ten points from their last four matches. And all of a sudden, they're in the conversation now. All of a sudden, they control their own destiny. If they win out, they can break into it. They can they can qualify for the World Cup still. Crazy as that sounds, considering how what a slow start they had. They're in the conversation. And at this point, what it boils down to is U.S.-Panama in Orlando. U.S. wins that one. It's it. They're in. U.S. wins that one. They are in. And, uh, you know, you can't look past the Mexico game. Obviously, it'd be great if you win in Mexico and that puts you on the doorstep. Get your first qualifying win in history in Mexico. Obviously, that's a feather and that would be a great feather in a cap for Greg Berhalter, for this group. And I know some people, I know some cynics will say, oh, this team isn't playing great. They're destined to lose. And I would argue that this team, this group, this particular group, has had some good success against Mexico now when you think about it. Three wins in the last six months. Gold Cup final, Nations League final, first the Nations League final in June, Gold Cup final, August 1st, and then the qualifier in November. So the, the this team, as young as it is, they are not going to be afraid of Mexico. They're not going to be intimidated by Mexico. They're not going to be intimidated by the Azteca because it's not going to be full. If, the, if they're lucky, it'll be half full. Right now, they had, what, 2,000 fans because of the COVID uh, protocols, the COVID restrictions. There were 2,000 fans at Azteca for their win over Panama. Now, me personally, I hope I hope it's at least half. I want I want as many fans as possible as they can get in there. Creates a great environment, and uh, you know it's a uh, for those who are just looking ahead a bit that you Mexico hosting the U.S. that game Paramount Plus will be uh, airing that game and covering that. There'll be some I have a feeling there's going to be some pretty uh, pretty in depth coverage around that game. 
Some pretty good, pretty, pretty good coverage around that U.S.-Mexico game. And uh, it's going to be a good one. As much as you can say, oh, but the Panama game is even more important, especially with Panama playing Honduras uh, on the same day that U.S. plays Mexico. If Panama beats Honduras, which is at this point you have to say it's pretty, pretty possible considering the shape that Honduras is in. If Panama beats Honduras, Mexico beats the U.S., all of a sudden, Panama's only a point behind the U.S. with a chance to pass them with a win in Orlando. And, and, and you know, I know some people say, ah, no chance. They're not going to beat. Panama's not beating the U.S. in Orlando. Not going to happen. Never say never. If you're the U.S., you want to get that win in Mexico, not only to make history, but just to kind of give yourself a little bit of a cushion. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. March is going to be wild. And it is interesting to me to hear there's definitely some fans who are just super cynical or super, uh, you know, obviously not convinced that this team is going to get it done. And I, I, I get it on some sense because, look, this team is not dominated at any point. They've had some good halves. This game was their first, like, close, you could argue their first 90-minute performance where you felt it from beginning to end that they just controlled the game. But it was against the worst team in the region playing in extreme conditions. So how much do you, you know, how much do, how much weight do you put into it? But it's still a young team that's coming together, having these experiences. And, uh, and guess what? There's going to be another, knock on wood, knock on wood, if all goes well, there'll be a player joining them in March who hasn't been around for a while, and that player is Gio Reyna. And here's our transition to Americans Abroad. Gio Reyna is back. And according to Dortmund, he should be ready to go this weekend for their match this weekend. And I think I speak for all Americans when I say thank goodness. I mean, get him on the field. This, it's been so brutal for him to be out as long as he's been out. And hopefully he gets back and gets healthy, gets back into his flow and continues on the trajectory that he was on before the injury. And I really hope people remember how important he can be for this U.S. team. What a difference maker he can be for this U.S. team. When he's on his game, he's as creative, if not more creative than anyone in the pool, in the U.S. pool. And then obviously Christian Pulisic, when he's on his game, you could say he's the most dangerous attacking player. But Gio Reyna, with his creativity, just he is, he, he is such an X factor. So hopefully, knock on wood, he can stay healthy. He can get back to his best and be there in March in Mexico City. And I can tell you right now, if Mexico, it, it, Mexico doesn't want to see Gio Reyna, they don't. For those who remember the Nations League, Gio Reyna was a, was a big factor for them against Mexico. So we'll see. We'll see if he can get back at it. Obviously, that's the great news on the injury front with the Americans. Now for some bad news uh, uh, from the Americans, and it's uh, for the Americans abroad. Tyler Adams and Chris Richards obviously uh, suffered injuries against Canada, and obviously that caused them to miss the Honduras game. And now you know they're, they're set to miss their games this weekend for their club team, so it's going to take them a while to get back. But you like to think they'll be back before long. And definitely, knock on wood, they're both back in March for qualifying. 
another player that returned to his team, Serginio Dest, and he has not changed teams. Barcelona uh, has held on to Dest. I know there was talk about potentially him moving in the winter, not necessarily being in their plans, but he's still there. And uh, you like to hope that he's going to be be a factor for for Xavi and be in the plans. And look at what Barcelona was able to do uh, to get Obama Yang and Adama Traore. And it's a, you know you you see those things. You're like, wait a minute, I thought they had no money. All of a sudden they're getting these guys. Like, how did that happen? Look, I don't know how it happened, but hopefully Barcelona can show some real improvement, and hopefully Xavi sees an opportunity to put Dest back into his squad, into the rotation, get him back into the lineup. Obviously, if you're the U.S., you want him back playing regularly to be as to be at his best because he's obviously going to be a big factor in March, not only against Mexico, but definitely against Panama. And if they need it against Costa Rica in that last qualifier, which knock on wood, hopefully the U.S. doesn't need a result in that last qualifier, because as we know, the U.S. has never won in Costa Rica. So we'll see what happens. Serginho Dest, obviously, you want to you're going to want to keep your eyes on. What happens with Dest at Barcelona? And that's it. Those are those are some of the key things I kind of wanted to touch on on the Americans abroad front. We'll wrap up with MLS and some MLS news. Josie Altador reportedly set to join the New England Revolution, and that one is uh, that's an interesting one. Now we knew Toronto FC was was looking to part ways with Josie Altador. He was ready to move on uh, from TFC. And you kind of were curious, where would he fit? What would be best for him? And now he gets to reunite with Bruce Arena, a coach he knows well from the national team and from his time with the Red Bulls. For those who forget, Bruce Arena was the Red, was the Red Bulls head coach at one point and did have time with Josie Altador. And, you know, they obviously have this relationship that most recently, more recently from the time with the national team. And you'd like to hope that him joining a team that look at this New England team with the with the creative players on that squad. They obviously had Carlos Gill, the the reigning MLS MVP. You've added Sebastian Legette now. Yeah, this team is shaping up to. I mean, they were already the supporter shield winners from last year, but now when you want to talk about title contenders, title favorites, I mean, adding him to that attack already with Gustavo Bo and you know Adam Buxa. Just with all those pieces, I mean, man, that they're there are they were already even before Josie Altador, they were already you, you'd probably put your money on them as the favorite to an MLS Cup. But now you added Josie Altador, not only does that make them MLS Cup favorites, but you wonder what Bruce Arena can do with as far as helping Josie Altador find his best form again and find some consistency and potentially play his way back into the national team conversation. And I know some people say, ah, oh, wait a minute, he's 32. You've got all these young strikers. Why on earth would you bring Josie Altador back? And here's the thing. When he's on his game, he still, I would argue, he can still be starter caliber for the U.S. He can still, with his hold-up play, with his passing, and you know, with his power when he's at his best. Now, obviously, it's a lot. for him. He needs to stay healthy. That's been tricky for him for a while now, for years. But he can still be a force. And if, there, if any coach can help get him back to that level, it's Bruce Arena. So that's something definitely to keep an eye on, to, something to watch. And obviously, look, you want to see these young strikers take hold of the job. You want to see a Ricardo Pepe. You want to see a Josh Sargent. When Daryl DK is back, Daryl DK, you want to see these guys take the job, right? You want to see them emerge as the guys that Greg Berhalter absolutely should has to call on, right? But if they don't, if they struggle, if they aren't playing consistently, aren't scoring consistently, aren't making the most of the opportunities when they have them, 
then guess what? Josie Atador could could potentially play his way into the conversation again. I'd say let's not rule it out. I think it's absolutely a possibility. Long way to go to get there, but we'll see what happens. We'll see if he can do it. And um, and that's it. I think that wraps it up. I think that's the last thing I definitely wanted to touch on. I know some people are like, oh, hell no. No parts of Josie Altidore. But look, I would say this now. You know, if you think about it, ask yourself this question. How often does a team, a team that regularly goes to a World Cup, how often does a team that regularly goes to the World Cup go into a World Cup with no players who've ever played in the World Cup? And that's something that's with John Brooks now on the outs. And I feel like it's more and more likely that we have seen the last of John Brooks is this is, is, as uh, you know, as sad as that might be. I mean, that's a possibility. Uh, DeAndre Yedlin is in a fierce fight for playing time. I mean, at right back, you have obviously Serginho Dest, Reggie Cannon turned in a solid performance at right back against Honduras. You have Joe Scally, obviously doing well in the Bundesliga. So it's, it's going to be tougher for DeAndre Yedlin. It's no guarantee DeAndre Yedlin is on the team that makes it to Qatar. If the Americans make it to Qatar. So then you're asking yourself, if you don't have a Brooks, if you don't have a Yetlin, your Julian green is, is, is so far off the radar. It's not even funny. Who's left. So maybe it's Josie Altador. So we'll see. I mean, I would say it would be better. It'd be ideal. It'd be preferable. If there's at least one or two players with world cup experience on that team that goes to Qatar, I think that'd be helpful. It'd be valuable. It'd be useful. Maybe it could be Josie Altador. So we'll see. But that's uh, that wraps it up. That I think we touched on everything that that I was hoping to get into. Uh, a lot of action this weekend, obviously in uh, around the around the world. You got the the African Cup of Nations final. You have Sadio Mane against Mo Salah, and that's uh, that's going to be a fun one. Obviously, if you get a chance to watch that, you have the Milan Derby. In Serie A, and my my peeps, the CBS Sports crew is on site in Milan. The entire crew, from Poppy Miller to Mike Grella, uh, Marco Messina, Matteo Bonetti, Bonetti, uh, Drake Cordero, everyone's there, uh, and they are going to provide some great coverage. So I would say whether you, whether or not you're a Serie A fan, you should watch that. The game is going to be great. First of all, it's it's the the t- the two highest scoring teams in Serie A. Uh, number one, Inter Milan. Number three, AC Milan. It's gonna, I think it's going to be a great game. Great coverage. So if you ha- if you don't already have Paramount Plus, go get Paramount Plus. If you have Paramount Plus, then definitely watch the game, watch the coverage. It should be great. But uh, I think that wraps it up. You want to watch that? You want to watch the the African Cup of Nations final if you can, and keep an eye on the Dortmund match because who's going to want to miss uh, Giorena's return? I know I I'm not going to want to miss that. So. Keep an eye on, on that for as well. And as always, thank you for listening to the SBI show. And thank you for reading SBISoccer.com. If you haven't subscribed yet, please consider subscribing and supporting the site as we continue to grow and continue to provide more and more coverage of American soccer, whether it's U.S. Men's National Team, U.S. Women's National Team, MLS, Americans Abroad, you name it. We're trying to cover as much as possible. And as always, we're looking. We're looking for writers. So if you're a writer, you're listening your perspective writer or if you're uh, you know social media maven video editor producer you name it if you're interested if you're looking somewhere to put, to, to put some work in reach out to me soccerbyivis at gmail.com let me know i'm looking for good people i'm always looking for good people and i'm always looking to help good people and help uh good prospects turn into great journalists that's uh, been doing it for years and I, I want to keep doing it. And I'll tell you what, I loved being out in Minnesota for that game. 
for, for U.S. Honduras and seeing not only my colleagues, my longtime colleagues, people who I'm super, super close with, like my man, Doug McIntyre, Paul Tenorio, Sam Steshkow, uh, you name it. So many. There's so many. Uh, I don't want to forget any of them, but there's a lot of them. There's a lot of them. So Brian Strauss. Um, I'm not I'm blanking. So many. There's so many names. I like the name. But then and also fans. I saw some fans that I've seen for years decades that have followed MLS that have followed uh, US soccer so it's just great it's a great it's a community we have a, we have this great community uh, of of you know Jeff I forgot my man Jeff Carlisle I can't forget my man Jeff Carlisle ESPN as well didn't want to forget him um, in terms of media um, uh, my man Paul Kennedy OG from Soccer America as well my guy um, and then of course fans see some of the fans that that have been following and then have been reading for years. Thank you for the support of SBI and of American soccer. Um, and then Minnesota, Minnesota, Minnesota was great except for the, you know, the, the cold was a lot, but I had a good time. I had a good time. My man, Jeff, uh, Jeff reader, the athletic probably butchering his name, but he knows who he is. Very, very promising young writer. I don't even, is he still young? Eh. Well, yeah, he's still young, but he's good. Definitely thank you for listening. As always, we'll be back on Monday. I, I know I always say the day I always get it wrong, but let's try it again. We'll be back on Monday to go over the Americans abroad action, hopefully talk about Gio Reyna's two goals and his comeback. Uh, Christian Pulisic with a goal, all that. We'll have it all covered on the next episode. But definitely, as always, thank you for listening and for giving me the the motivation to keep it rolling and to get it going because February is going to be, I think, a very good month for the SBI show. So stay tuned. But that's all for now. I'm Ivan Sklarsen. This is the SBI show. <laughs>